Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group Mental Health Lead, joined today by my friend and colleague, uh, David Seavey. I am Commission Manager for Adult Mental Health and Dementia Services and sort of producer, creator of this very podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. And we're delighted today to be joined by Heather Brunt, Senior Case Manager for Somerset Independence Plus. And Heather, you're here today to talk to us about hoarding disorder. So tell us a little bit about uh, about that hoarding disorder. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here and it's great to raise awareness on um, hoarding disorders and the help that's out there across Somerset. So our service, Somerset Independence Plus, we offer a hoarding disorder across Somerset. We um, are not tenure blind, so we can help anyone regardless of ownership or tenants of a property. Um, the There is grant funding available, please ignore that now, um, to support someone and we create a person-centered approach to provide support with someone to make their environment safer. And when I heard that the subject was going to be hoarding disorder, I got a bit nervous uh, because I'd been known to, to stack pieces of wood just in case they're useful in the future. So do I have a hoarding disorder? Wow, Peter, are you able to dis- discard those objects or do you collect them always because of that value so if i was to come into your property and said to you you know you've got a lot here your environment's becoming unsafe would you feel comfortable in me taking some of those properties or would you have an emotional attachment to that no i definitely don't have an emotional attachment to it so i don't have hoarding disorder but i guess it's it does raise the issue that it's not something that's peculiar and out there and some people have it. it is, is that right? It's a bit of a gradation? It's definitely, uh, it often gets referred to as a lifestyle choice. It really isn't a lifestyle choice. Um, it is linked and associated to um, mental health disorders. I'm glad you said that as well, because like Peter, I have collections of things. I have, I, my wife would probably say I'm borderline either way. I know I shouldn't make light of it, but I've got a lot of records downstairs and I would be upset if you told me to get rid of some of those, but that's just because I'm proud to have the records that I have. It's very, very different. That's a lifestyle choice. And this is not a lifestyle choice. So on that, David, there's a fine line between being a collector, there's a difference, sorry, between being a collector and a hoarder. So collectors are often organised items. Um, You collect, say, a specific thing like, say, Funko Pops until you've collected all of those um, that are out and available. And they're normally organised into order. So like stamps would be in order, whereas hoarding is quite chaotic. There is no order to the belongings within the property. That's cool. Yeah. So my record collection is within genre and then it's alphabetized as well. So I probably am okay there. But those Funko Pops, they are quite expensive things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The one thing I would say, though, is it's when your collection takes over your home environment. So your your environment then becomes unsafe. Sure. Yeah. So when it starts to like compromise your your safety in your environment, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's when people need to get in touch with people like you. And when your home function is not functioning the way it should be, so you're not able to access, you know, your kitchen to cook for yourself, your bathroom, so you cannot wash, so then you're getting into self-neglect areas. And certainly it can be very extreme, can't it? So I've been called into houses where people have uh, refuse bags full of detritus and even human waste sometimes, uh, and they can barely get around their house. Do you see such extreme cases often? 
Yeah, so we use the recognised cluster rating system to matrix score how we prioritise our visits. And then if it's sort of between seven and nine, so that's when it's stacked up ceiling high gangways, then we take a multi-agency approach and look at what statutory agencies um, need to be involved to sort of support. But our person-centred approach reduces the risk of um, statutory intervention, such as enforcement via environmental health, which could cause um, severe distress to someone in having such a fast change to their environment. Sure. So it, it, it really becomes when it's becoming a problem where it's affecting your ability to look after yourself, to have self-care and to, to live a functional normal in air quotes life that's when it becomes an issue and that's when you guys get called in to come and help uh, the person to become more organized and help with things yeah and also it's it can affect other things so we also will do a home safety check to the property so we will look at the safety of the property using the housing health safety rating system which is what environmental health use so we look for category hazards around the property and then we look at how we can mitigate those risks we will work with the fire service to do a home safety check and then work on exit plans so we will always do a plan with an individual and work on the areas that they want to first. The only time we'll work on areas different for them is if it's a safety issue that we have to reduce those risks so that actually they've got escape routes in the event of a fire. And you talk about working with people, which is great. My experience, sadly, is that the, some of the cases I've been called into, people don't see that there's a problem and they don't realise the distress they're causing to neighbours. What, what do you do in those sort of situations? So first of all, we need to build up a rapport with a client. So we need them to trust us. So we need to gain their perception and their awareness on the environment. So first of all, we do icebreaker questions, find out how their perception on the property. Then we find out what they want to achieve. We don't mention anything about any about anyone else yet because it's all about them. We're in their space and we need to respect that. So we work a plan around them, what they want to achieve, and then we bring in factors with how we can make it safer for them and achieve what they want. So they love their belongings, but they're not being looked after because they're covered with lots of other stuff. Actually, we'll look at mechanisms where they can see their belongings because we want to look after them because they mean so much to them. That's, that's brilliant, Heather. And so, uh, you know, you said you use a scoring system to determine the, the hazards around the house and things. That, uh, I don't, uh, not specific examples. Can you give some sort of general examples of the kind of thing that you might see that would be classed as hazards? Yeah, so excess cold. So they are unable to use their heating because the property is so um, cluttered that it's not safe to use it or actually they don't get any um, heat from it. Also, um, mold, damp and mould, because actually they're not ventilating the property properly because it's so, we get structural collapse where, um, so ceilings have collapsed where um, it's not necessarily always related to hoarding, but it can be that the property's in disrepair, but they're unable to get those repairs done because of the condition of the property or the clutter. So um, we will look at within the plan, if they've got no heating, if they've got disrepair, we will work with them, first of all, working on the clutter, because that's the primary focus, because none of the other stuff can happen until that's done. And then we will then work with them within the other part of our service, which is decent homes, to sort of get their property brought up to a decent living standard and get those repairs for them. 
Thank you, Heather. That's brilliant. And I know you're saying about uh, uh, the, some people you, you, you help to show them their possessions in amongst the, the belongings. There's a difference. There's a, a, a distinction made between something that they have an attachment to or perhaps that gives them memories or there's some kind of uh, attachment with that object. And then there's the other objects, which is around those objects within the house. Um, how, how is that through interview with the person that you determine what those possessions are? And that seems like a powerful tool f to get them to, to change the way they do by highlighting these the things you actually care about and these are the other things that are getting in the way of those that sounds like a really good yeah argument. so it's a person-centered approach so every plan is different to each client we have and we have to first of all gauge their understanding what is it they want to achieve and how can we best work with them how can we keep them motivated because they can have say depression and that can spiral some days it can be a good day some days can be bad we can take one step forward one back sometimes what we set to do the priority on that goal has changed so they now want to move to a different area of the house that's absolutely fine the plans aren't fixed we use various different sort of mechanisms when we visit people for how to do things we can use color coding systems sort of um putting things in boxes and then we start taking things from those boxes but they get used to those boxes being in situ in a position and then eventually those boxes will be removed away um so it's very tailored to the person some individuals will never be, you know, they're not show homes. They're never going to be, if you look at the clutter rating, they're never going to be, um, say, a three and below or maybe a four and below. But then we need to work on mechanisms to make the property safer and work on one in, one out mechanism, different, different things to stop it getting up to that safety. Sure. So it's, so basically you, you, you go in and you don't try and just go chuck everything out immediately you, you have a system whereby first of all you help them to organize things a little bit and then eventually you start to gently kind of incrementally remove things away until that it becomes less cluttered the environment we first of all will see what agencies what sort of mental health support they might need um because obviously we're in their environment it can be very distressing discarding things so we need to make sure we've got the correct appropriate help for them when we're doing that because it, it does push buttons um and then we will look at what process will help them. Peter, I want to ask you a question, if that's OK, because I know that you are also uh, well versed in, in this uh, type of thing. So with hoarding disorder, it is categorised as a mental health disorder in its own right. But is it is it also a symptom of other mental health disorders or, or how does it sort of tie into that side of things? Well, you've just asked me the question I was going to ask Heather. So, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> David. So uh, being medics, we give everything a fancy name. And uh, Diogenes syndrome is the name often given to hoarding disorder. But you're right. That as, as you've said, Heather, there is an overlap with other mental health conditions. So it's not, it's not generally thought of as a, a discrete mental health problem in the way that, say, schizophrenia would be. But there is an overlap with other often low-level mental health problems. And a lot of people will start hoarding because it gives them that short-term pleasure hit. And listeners who listen to our happiness podcast will know that we often go down the wrong path of trying to get these short-term possessions that give us a bit of happiness hit and then realize that that wears off very quickly. So hoarding is something that can start off like that and then gradually spiral out of control. Thank you, Pia. That's really interesting. And Heather, that, so uh, some people might start hoarding because it gives them sort of like a, you know, an instant kind of reward in that way, like Peter was describing. But are there other people that that hoard for other reasons, like, for example, to shut out the world? Is that something that sort of happens? Yeah, so we can get that through um, sort of agoraphobia and claustrophobia 
um, depression, they tend to be that they want to block everyone out. So they, they cocoon themselves around belongings because they feel their belongings are their safety net. And then they want to see um, their items that are important to them most around them. So they know they're safe. No, that's 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 brilliant. So they so so it's yeah, like you say, it's like a cocooning. It's sort of like just surrounding yourself with everything that's familiar, and you don't want the outer world to come in and be involved in your life. So if if you went in to help somebody who had that type of situation, what would you guys do to to help them? So first of all, we need to build that rapport up. So we don't put a limit to the number of times we will visit. Um, I always say to people when we've got that trust up, it didn't happen overnight it's not going to be cleared overnight. So we, we will go at their own pace um, and work to keep them motivated. So if someone is doing that, obviously what we need to look at is how can we reduce the number of items, but making it safer. So that's where we could do the box item where we put things in the box so that it's still stacked up around them, but they get used to things being taken out of that box. But because they've got that barrier of the box being in place for them, they still feel like they're enclosed. Um, with a person again, like that, would they would they like literally be shutting out like windows and doors? Are they like doing that on purpose? And, and sort of do you sort of help them with that? Often, um, all the all the every hoarder I have, we pretty much see. You normally can't access windows um, and blinds are always closed, so people can't look in anyway. And that's because they don't want to be judged on the environment, opposed to it might not necessarily be the same thing that they're cocooning in. And you talk about judging and people obviously do judge and, and it's got a, a lot of stigma to overcome, hasn't it? But really anyone who's had a teddy as a child will know how having a familiar object around can make them feel comforted. So do you try and destigmatize? Yes, we do. For the fact that we, um, that's why we're currently working on a hoarding protocol to sort of um, include statutory agencies to work with us so that um, some of the biggest problems can be to get other agencies involved because we get it referred to as a lifestyle choice. So we will explain, we will find out all of the situation and then work out a plan of who needs to be involved when, which helps reduce. Also, we try to do as much awareness, talking about hoarding, like the podcast today is great awareness to sort of let people know that actually there is help out there. Somerset Independence Plus cover all of Somerset. Um, we do not charge for our service, so we can help people um, sort of take control again. And D David, I'm sure this will be uh, on, on the end of the podcast, but can you tell us how, the, how people would contact you if they either fear that they're getting into hoarding themselves or I suspect more likely know somebody who they suspect is hoarding? Thank you. One thing I would say, though, is if someone wants to make a referral um, and it's someone referring on behalf of someone, please make sure you have permission to pass those details on because we do receive a lot of referrals where they haven't obtained permission. And we will check that we will not make contact with someone without permission because we shouldn't have their details. Um, so if someone wants to make a referral, they can call our um direct telephone number, which is 0300 303 7794. Um, they can complete a referral form um, uh, on our website, which is www.somersetindependenceplus.co.uk, or they can email us on somindplus, which is S-O-M-I-N-D, and then plus P-L-I-U-S. 
S at sedgemore.gov.uk. So is, uh, is that plus P L U S the the last word? That, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Don't worry. Did I just say that? Yeah, wrong? no, don't worry. Sorry, just to clarify. Edit out the email. We don't use <laughs> no, it. Well, we do use it, but no one refers like. Oh. That's not the main route people come to use, Bruno. No, it's all right, cool. Uh, Peter? I will add those uh, those numbers and details to my disordered collection of uh, of telephone numbers and emails that I've got uh, stacked up somewhere. But I'm, I'm really pleased that you made that point that you're, you're not doing to somebody, you're doing it with them. You're doing it with their consent, with their cooperation, rather than coming in and, and battering the door down. Yeah, the... It, the... The client needs to want to make changes to environment. We're not there to enforce. The only way, obviously, if they won't engage with our service and it's going down a safeguard route, then they might look to go down environmental health enforcement route. But that is not what our service is about. It's a person-centred, as I keep saying, approach to sort of um, help that individual take control and change their environment, but also have their environment the way they want to have it, not the way they're being told to have it. No, that's really good. And I think it's a really good angle to come at it from that safety. Uh, so he's putting the person at the heart, but you're also coming at it from a safety, that person's safety aspect, like you're helping them to improve the safety of their house and their environment. I think you said that, that you work with the fire service and they come in and give them a... Yeah, yeah. So we work with all different agencies, even environmental health. So environmental health are involved. We can work with them to stop enforcement actions by our service being involved, sort of. Um, and we can work to timescales, hopefully... I think that's a really good angle to, to come at it from, uh, Peter. And when you are involved with people, obviously they must find it quite challenging to begin with. But overall, after you've spent what sounds as though it's quite a lot of time and ed- energy trying to help them, do they feel better at the end of this process? Are they grateful for your intervention? Hopefully we make a difference. We've got people where they've got social isolation. They've got no one, but they also hide away in their property, which also adds to that depression, the way they're feeling about life because their environment's not very welcoming either for them. So we will look at the whole picture. We take a holistic approach by looking at whatever agencies can be involved. So I've got a late, I will go to an event with them. If someone, if someone's got social isolation and actually we will look for what groups we can get them involved in, but actually the first initial visit I might attend that with them so that they've got a familiar face. I won't keep going to those visits with them, but just to help them have that familiar face to feel happier. Because it, it, it's obviously the environment is our ultimate goal, but also there's so many other issues. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, and uh, I, I was um, interested earlier, Peter, so a slight tangent. I can't get it out of my head. You said uh, diet. Diogen, how, what is it? What was Diogenes it? Yeah, so syndrome. What, yeah. What, why is it called that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit unfair on uh, poor old Diogenes. He he was one of these ancient Greek philosophers, and he he shut him up himself up in a barrel for years and years, and I, I, he didn't hoard, he didn't collect. So I don't quite know why it's called Diogenes syndrome. But as you know, doctors like to give fancy names to things it it helps to mask our ignorance some sometimes because we really don't understand hoarding disorder very well i I think as you've said heather it very often starts out as as a way of trying to comfort yourself when you're feeling low uh and we all have different ways of doing this don't we and some are helpful like we're always pushing exercise and nature and things like that and some like alcohol are unhelpful and I think hoarding is one of the unhelpful ways of trying to help ourselves feel better. And then it just 
escalates. And I don't know if you see this, Heather, but I see people where they just feel completely overwhelmed because all their rooms are filled with rubbish. Yeah, so often they don't know where to start and that's often the barrier to why they've not got help. It's not necessarily always the stigmatism attached. And that's where the plan, where we do a detailed plan for each room, that helps break it down into bite-sized chunks and that are manageable for someone to be able to um, get involved in the process and be able to manage and hopefully upkeep that process. Now, it's really interesting what you're saying there about the origins of the, the Greek term and, the, and and that idea that we were talking about a minute ago about some people doing it because of cocooning, sort of like to to kind of keep themselves safe and to keep themselves insulated. So perhaps that that's the connection there between the two. Yeah, like you say, he wasn't hoarding himself, but uh, maybe that's sort of where where it came from. But I think I was you- just going to say, could it be because it's a small space because you said he was in a barrel, whereas with hoarding disorder, it's often there's no space. None at all. <laughs> no, just every space is filled. So, with, with um, do you? So, obviously, we're talking about some people. Uh, hoarding disorder can be a part of other more complex mental health needs that they might have. Is it also sometimes connected to substance abuse and things like that as well, or is that something that's not commonly found? No. Yes, it it can be, um, and sometimes it's. There's a fine line between hoarding and squalor as well. So sometimes the environment can become unsafe, but it goes on the clutter rating um, because actually, say, excess alcohol bottles um, have taken over the property and that can be shamefulness through not wanting people to see their alcohol bottles. I'm slightly hesitant to ask this in case my wife is listening to this podcast, but can you tell us what a clutter rating is, please, Heather? Um I might need help on that. So a clutter rate, it's a standard clutter, it's a standard clutter rating, which is um, recognised UK wide and the fire service use it. So it will be one to nine pictures of a living room, a bathroom and a kitchen. And it's broken down into areas with level of belonging. You'll find there's like washing stacked up and then you see the room become less and less functional for that intended use. Sure. No, that's really good. So it's kind of like a standardised kind of way of assessing a property and then just deciding how much help that person might need. And if somebody did have substance abuse issues, you would put them in touch with, I guess, ESTAS in this case, um, the Somerset Drugs and Alcohol Service. Um, so, that, OK, that's that's really good to, to know. We, we would and we would also potentially... Um alongside that there could be that there's a referral into talking therapies as well because it might be that they have other um conditions that need sort of resolving as well yeah people are complicated aren't they they do yeah (laughs) and one of the general psychological things is that you start from where they are you accept what they do but say maybe there's a better way to deal with your feelings and help them through and it might be that psychological talking therapies uh is is the way to do this The other thing I was really struck by, Heather, um, was you said about breaking it down, that when people are overwhelmed, you try and break it down into small steps. And uh, there's another piece of fridge magnet philosophy, isn't there, that says if you want to climb a mountain, you do it by one step at a time. Is, Is that your philosophy? Very much so, because as I as I said earlier, it didn't get like that overnight and it's not going to be cleared or resolved overnight. We have to do it one step at a time. 
that's really really good and uh, heather i know we, we had a little chat a little while ago when we were sort of setting this, this up and i sort of said something about um a television program a well-known television program uh, that's that can make light of this type of thing uh, which uh, let's let's call it what it is it's nick Knowles' big house clear out uh but there are a lot of these programs on channel five channel four all, all the channels where they'll do a documentary and it's sort of i remember the first time i ever heard of hoarding disorder a long long time ago there was a documentary i think on channel four and it's very i felt it's kind of exploitative the way it was filmed it's like look at this look how terrible this is what what do you think about that kind of uh, the way that it's covered on television i have to say i struggle with the positives of the way it's been advertised because actually when someone has difficulty discarding um possessions because they've got an emotional attachment or an attachment of some sort actually you see the way the emotion and the anxiety that causes you just touching that or potentially um, that belonging being taken from them, it doesn't show them that. And it also doesn't show any mental health support being put in place um, to sort of deal with actually the root cause of why they are in a hoarding disorder situation. That, that program, the Nick Knowles one in particular, is very much a like, oh, we'll, we'll come in, we'll change everything for you, we'll do your house up, we'll throw all your stuff away with you, and then just promise us you'll never do it again, which I, like, I agree with you. I think that you need to look at the underlying causes a little bit and acknowledge that there are more complex issues. And there's no preventative measures put in place. So by doing it one step at a time, having the client on board, and it's their process, it's what they want to achieve. Actually, you've got prevention measures in place to hope that the environment stays the way they would like it opposed to just clearing it and be back to square one again. So I think that's a really important point you've made. And does that mean that people can be reassured if they're thinking of contacting your service, that they won't be judged? 100%. Brilliant. They'll be helped. It'll be working with them. You'll try and look at other ways of helping what made them unhappy and start hoarding in the first place. And you'll try and do things to help them find better ways of dealing with their emotional distress in the future. We will, but uh, we will, and we also will work with um, statutory services to, and mental health, sort of, who are the experts in whatever those conditions that might be sort of acerbating the situation to make sure that the whole situation is resolved for them and we're not just putting a plaster on the environment. Very good. That's an excellent message. We, I think that's a good place to stop. We talk a lot about, about care, we talk a lot about holistic care, whole person care. It sounds as though you're putting this into practice and it sounds an absolutely fantastic service. So I would encourage anyone who uh, knows somebody and can gain their consent with hoarding disorder or who thinks they've got a hoarding problem themselves to get in touch with you. And can you give us those contact details again, Heather? I can. So to call us is 0300 303 7794. Or they can fill out an online form on our website, which is www.somersetindependenceplus.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Heather, for joining us. And thank you to David as well, co-presenter. And I hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this podcast and we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.